Hello, you cat and dog people. This is It's Training Cats and Dogs, the show for people with both cats and dogs who want peace in their home and peace between their animals. I'm Naomi Rotenberg, your source of practical strategies for keeping everyone in your multi-species household safe and sane. And today we're talking to another pet professional about how they've used their expertise to manage their relationships between their own pets. Let's get started. Today's guest is the most exciting person that I've talked to. I'm very, very pleased. Our guest is Laura Monaco Torelli, and I'm fangirling over here just a little bit. It's fine. So let's get into why Laura is so awesome. So she is the founder of Animal Behavior Training Concepts in Chicago, Illinois. She began her career in 1991 at Chicago's Shed Aquarium, where she trained with beluga whales, dolphins, sea otters, seals, river otters, and penguins. Penguins are my favorite animal, by the way. Don't tell the cats and dogs. <laughs> After nearly a decade at the shed, she moved on to the San Diego Zoo and then Brookfield Zoo as a lead supervisory trainer. During her time in the zoo community, Laura worked with a wide variety of animals, including primates, large cats, birds of prey, horses, parrots, tree kangaroos, giraffes, red pandas, foxes, and dogs. She's currently part of a raptor and mammal animal rescue and rehabilitation training team for the Wildlife Discovery Center in Lake Forest, Illinois. Laura is a faculty member and instructor of Karen Pryor Academy for Animal Training and Behavior, also known as KPA, I am a graduate, and serves as a teaching assistant for Dr. Susan Friedman's Living and Learning with Animals online course. Everyone should take it. I haven't yet, but I've, everyone here says it's the best. She has presented at numerous professional conferences and taught seminars across the United States, Italy, Sweden, the UK, Singapore, Japan, and the Caribbean. Laura has appeared on various broadcast media and radio, she also contributed her training videos for the Fear Free Professional Trainer Certification and Karen Pryor Academy Better Vet Visits online courses. Laura and her husband share their lives with Santino and Vito, two Rhodesian Rizbacks, and Lucia and Topolina, their two cats. Hi, Laura. I am so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to spend time with you and and your podcast community and mm, to get yay. to know you I better. We'll have, we'll have a back and forth rather than me interviewing you. So before <laughs> we dive into all of your magical wisdom, we like to do a little bit of a quick icebreaker at the beginning of these podcast interviews so that we can all get to know you as a human a little bit better. So today, everybody, we are going to play a round of Two Truths and a Lie and Laura submitted these to me ahead of time. So everyone listening should guess which of these is the lie. And oh man, this is one of the, the hardest ones that we've had so far. So everyone ready? All right. Number one, Laura has had a Rottweiler. Number two, Laura has had a St. Bernard. And number three, Laura has had a Doberman. All right, so I'm going to give you guys a little bit of time. Do, 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 do. Do, do. Jeopardy, don't come at me for copyright infringement. Do, 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 do. All right. So if anyone has an eye as a guest, Rottweiler, St. Bernard, or Doberman, which one is the lie, Laura? Mm. Doberman. Okay. So three big doggy breeds. So tell me, no Doby in your history. Tell me about your Roddy and your St. Bernard. Yes, yes. I will say that my aunt has had Dobermans her whole life. But I have never had a Doberman in, in, in my home. 
beautiful breed. Haven't not had them for any specific reason. Our Rottweiler was named Pegan, and he was my parents' dog in the 90s. I was already in college and in my in my early 20s, but I was at their house all the time and pet sitting when they would travel. So I was like Pegan's, I was just there all the time. So I had, we had Pegan through the 1990s and he was, he was gorgeous. He was just <laughs> built like a brick house and the sweetest, most affectionate dog and just a wiggler. He would always do that rotty butt lean in. Like he would walk by and be like, <laughs> well, your sister's sitting there and kind of back it up. And we would just scratch his butt. Of course, he was so beautiful. He lived a long life. He lived a long life. And then in my early 30s, a St. Bernard and uh, Solomon, and he was just a big, goofy, sweet dog. I remember thinking I, I could never brush you enough and it would be enough. He was constantly shedding, but very affectionate. And then I met the current breed that we have. But I thought this would be, and, and what a fun game. So thank you for that icebreaker. Because when I, when I read that you had asked if we could do that, I thought, I think people might associate me with Ridgebacks, we you know Rhodesian Ridgebacks, because back then with our Rottweiler and our St. Bernard, there was no social media. There was no sharing of information. But since in my professional career, I post a lot of training videos, it's Ridgebacks. So I met this breed, Rhodesian Ridgebacks, through my then boyfriend, now husband, and Jim had our, his first two Rhodesian Ridgebacks, Luca, Luca Brazzi and Clemenza. So he names them from the movie, The Godfather, if anyone watches The Godfather. So we, he had Luca and Clemenza. And when we married, we had Luca and Clemenza. They were four and three at the time. And then uh, they since had passed on. And then we got Santino when we still had Clemenza. And then we just got Vito, not just, but Vito's three now. And that keeping is Keeping it all in the family. family. We're keeping it in the family. Yes. And we will never, ever name a Ridgeback Fredo or Tessio because Fredo betrayed oh, well. No. <laughs> Just joking. Yes, the Italian theme runs strong. And I guess, I mean, I've always had big breeds, big breeds of dogs, and I've always had male dogs in my life and then female so cats. Is that, that just because? It's just the way it worked out? Yeah, just random, not, not like by choice. We're not being gender exclusive when it comes to dogs and cats as far as male, female, but it's just worked out where prior to me meeting in, you know, dating Jim and then marrying Jim, I had male dogs in my life. And in my, um, in the mid nineties, I rescued my first cat in 1995, um, Olga. She was a beautiful, tiny little calico that was dropped off at a vet clinic for boarding and they never came back for her. And a friend of mine's wife was a vet tech at this vet clinic. It was in Hinsdale, Illinois. If anyone's familiar with the Chicagoland area, a suburb of Hinsdale is a suburb of, not Chicago. Chicagoland, we're very specific. You're either from mm -hmm. Chicago or the suburbs of. And it was the mid-90s. I was just about to graduate college. I was working full-time at Shed. And I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to have a pet. And uh, she was seven, seven years old. 
And one of my coworkers that I was a trainer with at Shed said, they're really looking to rehome this cat. The cat has been there for mm-hmm. nine months. The owners are not coming back. They're not responding. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll just stop by the vet clinic to see her. And it was over. I met Olga. I never changed her name. And she was this tiny little cat. Yeah, it's so it's, sweet. I loved hearing the stories about how our animals come into our lives and how they, you know, foster fails and just they choose us. I was telling you about how Rio, my cat, came and he, we, I went to the shelter. This was up in, oh, let's see, trying to think what year it was. It wasn't that long ago. Come on, Naomi, brain. About eight years ago. (laughs) And it was like a, there, it was an open shelter environment. There were cages, but he was just kind of wandering around and they just said, go and see who, who you like. All the other cats were just doing their own thing. And Rio, comes up I put my my bag down and it was like a large tote bag and he just crawled in my purse and I was like all right well oh. I guess that's the cat <laughs> that was pretty obvious to me and he's been the best he's been the yeah. best ever since I, I love him so much um he made a good choice and just such a tender moment such a tender moment where you know, this beautiful Rio just, oh, look at this bag and just chose you. And then you're like, yeah. well, I guess I wonder if he I ever regrets the Because I have two young kids now and I'm always like, does he regret crawling into that bag now? <laughs> well, and if I may share then my, my second rescue cat. So Olga, unfortunately, I didn't have her very long. I, I think she was seven. Rescued her in 1995. She passed away early summer... 1999. You know how we can run a catalog of like significant timeframes of the animals that come in and out, right? Like that was, that was a family loss. And I did, I maybe had her three years and oh, it just broke my heart. She had advanced kidney disease and I was like, done. I'm never going to have another animal in my home again. It just, it was too heartbreaking. I was gutted. I was devastated. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, only the animals that I work with over at the shed, like those are the ones. And then I can just go home. Like I can't bring a dolphin home with me. So I'm done. Like it's, it, it broke my heart. And then it was the summer of 1999 and I was helping my friend, Jen McGee. She, I'll send her the link if she listens to this. She's, she's still a marine mammal trainer at Brookfield Zoo. I was helping her move. A bunch of friends just were helping her move. And we were standing in front of her new cute little home. And this torty just walks up to me and is rubbing on my legs and rubbing on my legs and I look down and it's this gorgeous, scrumptious, torty, dark, caramel, all the colors. And I look down and I said, who's this? Like, whose who's cat is this? And my friend Jen said, the whole block just chips in and helps her. We chipped in and got her spayed, but no one can take because Jen was allergic mm-hmm. to cats. And it was like this whole story. And there's this long pause and Jen kind of looks at mm-hmm. me and I'm like, no. And I said, no, I'm no, I, I no. I cannot go through the heartbreak again. And I was like, no, no. And I went home and about a week goes by and Jen calls me. She's low is my nickname. And she said, low Fiona was this cat's name at the time. Fiona is howling at my back door and I'm putting food and water out for her. Winter is going to be coming up soon. She really needs a home and she's just trying to sell it. And I'm like, no. And yeah, so then what happened was a week after that, I said, fine. I then named her Willow after my favorite tree, the weeping willow. And the vet thought she was two. She was um, already spayed, as as Jen had said. And then I had her for 16 years and she traveled the country back and forth. We went to San Diego Zoo. We came back and we lost her in 2015. And it was 
another heartbreak, right? It was like a moment where is it is it worse if they mm. pass suddenly? Well, it's never better, but if our animal is here and then they're gone, you're like, what just happened? Like it was boom and gone. Or if they're sick for a long time and we have that hospice situation of sometimes it's this slow progression where you're like, when will I know if I have to let you go, right? Willow was one of those. She mm. seemed fine in the morning. And I came home. At, it was like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. I came home mm. after teaching group classes. And I noticed she was breathing through her mouth. And I'm like, that's not normal. Rushed her to ER. And within an hour and a half, I had to let her go. And it was like, oh, no. And then we had our other cat that my husband had before we got married, Nochella, our Russian blue. And she was already an older girl. And we're like, we're not going to get another cat. Nochella should live by herself, age quietly. We're not going to get another Ridgeback. Nochella's was already like 18 as well. And then we lost Nochella. And it was the day of the solar eclipse 2017. That day we had to move her along. And our vet was so wonderful. Dr. Sullivan was so wonderful. We did it outside under mm. a tree you know, outside the vet clinic. And it was so peaceful. And she was ready though. She was like, and it's time. She had supportive care. We were doing sub Q fluids to help her kidneys. Yeah, She was 20. And then we were, I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't not had a cat in my life for a long time. And then these two kittens, Lucia and Topolina came to us via my dear friend, Christina um, Rosinia. She works for Paws Chicago here downtown. And she fosters cats here in Chicago. And she's like, hey, Lo, I have to go out of town. I have two little five-week-old Tordy rescues. Do you and Jim just want to have them for a couple of days just to cheer up? And now <laughs> that goes. So there's the, you have had animals coming in and out, beautiful histories, and you've had dogs and cats. Again, it doesn't seem like you've actively been like, okay, we're going to introduce them now and have a process and well thought out. So how has it been to just kind of bring in a new animal? Have you ever had issues with it or have you had good plans going through? How, how does that work? That's an excellent question. And my experiences have been mm -hmm. on the pendulum in that I think about the great training that I received. So big shout out to Ken Ramirez and Lisa Takaki, two of my first mentors when it comes to animal training and care in the early 90s. They're spectacular. And I think about, we set the conditions with exotic animals about looking at their species and safety concerns. And I'm so safety protocol oriented because my background is with, these are exotic animals that are wild and we have to keep in mind the social structure and dolphin politics, penguin politics, breeding season. I mean, their developmental periods, the way that we set the conditions up for everyone to be successful, right? So when my husband and I married and I moved in with Willow, my little rescue, Torty, we had Luca and Clemenza, our first two Ridgebacks, and then Nochella, his cat. So Luca, Clemenza, and Nochella were already a wonderfully smooth household between Nochella and the two dogs. Luca and Clemenza came into Jim's home and he already had Nochella. And so I came in with Willow. And so we were adjusting Willow to a home with <laughs> my real, I love 
love, I love your cat for your listeners. Naomi's cat is so beautiful. He's flagging his tail in front of the camera with all he the colors. So the, just to kind of abbreviate, Luca, our first Ridgeback, and Willow, it was a struggle until Luca passed away. So we got, I moved in 2006. So from 2006 until 2010, which is when Luca passed away, we had to do careful management of gates and doors opened and closed because there was something about Willow that Luca, something about her movement, if she would meow, is, a, is an acoustic stimulus. Her movement is a visual stimulus. Luca's response to that was not affiliative. And I was worried like he, mm-hmm. that he would hurt her. And so we did straight up management. And then when Luca passed away, then we weren't do, keeping doors or gates or shifting shifting Willow around because Clemenza didn't have, really have a problem with her. But I learned a lot about really empathy with client teams that would call with dog mm-hmm. and cat concerns. Last year I did, for Clicker Expo Live, I did a, a lab virtual presentation about introducing dogs and cats, mm-hmm. like as an intro with two wonderful trainers that contributed to that as well. And if anyone's interested, they can find that at the Clicker Expo Live library to, to listen and, and observe all the demos. I'll put a link in the show notes too. Yeah, it was so much fun. We had such a good time. And I learned a lot on the front end about what it feels like to be in a home where you're really worried about the safety of an animal. And for us, it was Willow. And even my husband agreed. I'm like, don't just open the door and hope for the best. Luca is a massive, big dog. Even a small dog can do some serious damage when it comes to their behavior. Hi, Santino. Oh, big stretch. So then after after Luca passed away, we let Clemenza out, like not out, but Willow was able to roam free. And then we got Santino as a puppy. So Santino came in the home with Willow and Nochella. And that's where I really started to integrate a lot of pairing the stimulus of if Santino would hear a meow, I would immediately click and treat. I would just pair meow, click, food. Meow, click, food. If there would be a thump, like a cat would hit the ground at a distance in another room, that acoustic meant mark and let's go run to a treat jar. That 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 sound of the cat was an opportunity mm-hmm. for reinforcement. And the reinforcement, that pairing, the timing was critical was valuable because for most people there might be a lot of lumping. Or, and I'd love to hear your experience with this when working with cats and dogs, but some people think, mm-hmm. let me hold the cat and lower the cat to the dog. So the cat learns or the dog learns everything's okay. I'm just, that's such a general comment. But what's happening is we're removing Mm -hmm. the cat's ability to show what the cat needs. The cat is being flooded. The cat has no way out. And when we look at my friend and colleague, Dr. Kelly Ballantyne, she's um, a wonderful veterinary behaviorist. Dr. Ballantyne says Mm -hmm. the cats have many weapons. (laughs) So they have their mouth, they have their claws, and our girls still have claws. There's advice that I'll see that sets the tone for neither the dog or the cat are really given a choice, or maybe the dog is really scared of the cat. And then we're dealing with scent is a stimulus. We're dealing with, yeah. What have you noticed under those conditions? Some of maybe advice that people 
have heard and they thought, oh, this should go well. And it's no, and you're, and you're, and you're advising, don't do that. I think one of the things that I teach people a lot, especially for cats, and we were talking about species specific behaviors, is that flight is a huge reinforcer for a lot of cats. And so when you take that away, when you're doing an introduction, A, you're decreasing the amount of choice, which as we know, is a huge primary reinforcer of being able to say, okay, I choose to stay here so that I can access this other type of reinforcement that you might be offering me. (laughs) But you have you, you take away those competing motivators where it's okay. If the cat is either in your arms or some people say, put them in a carrier and put them on the floor and then have the dog like sniff them. That's pretty similar, <laughs> but they're stuck. They're really stuck. And so even if you're, some people say, okay, and then shove treats in the carrier or whatever. And I say, well, in that moment, that cat would probably like to run away <laughs> rather than eat your food. And then they say, oh, my cat's not food motivated. Like when they're doing like really close contact, even if it's through a gate or something like that, it's there's, there's, there's a couple of things going on here. I'm sure they would love your cookies if they were 20 feet away, but you're kind of forcing them, you're flooding them. And that's not going to yield a positive association, but also it doesn't give them the chance to practice proper like social cues and learning each other and how to communicate with each other in a much more subtle way. (laughs) So your version, right, of like cats move, this is a thing that cats do. You're going to hear this sound. You're clicking and then moving the dog away. So that's one coping mechanism that you're kind of building into that behavior chain. It's okay, the cat's making a noise. Instead of going towards it, let's move away. And then you get a positive reinforcer on top of that. You're, you're kind of giving them that awesome muscle memory of what that cue ends up being rather than a trigger. It's a cue, which I think is great. And it's much better than trying to rush it. And we had, and thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. Because I think for us, you and I as professionals that provide guidance and our expertise to help advocate Mm -hmm. for the animal, right? Advocate for the dog and cat. Explaining, as Dr. Susan Friedman would say, all behavior serves a function. All behavior serves a purpose. So what behavior are we observing from Mm -hmm. the dog under those conditions? And what's the function? What's the cue for the dog or cat? And what's the consequence that's decreasing, maintaining, or increasing the frequency of the yeah. unwanted or wanted behavior. And what we're also have behavior science on our shoulder mm-hmm. while we're being empathetic. And I hope to come to the table with something to offer cat owners and dog owners to say, I have two dogs, I have two cats, four de- very different personalities. Just because I have Ridgebacks doesn't mean every Ridgeback that I've had's personality right. is, yes, they have breed specific tendencies and things that I see. And now I'm on my fourth, well, Calico and then Torty <laughs> and now Torty Torty with Nochella in between as our Russian blue, that when we brought Vito in as a puppy, so we got the kittens and they grew up with Santino and they were just five, six weeks old, full of beans, little, tiny little kittens. And I'd never had kittens in my life. I always rescued old cats. So I was like, wow, this is a lot. I'm learning a lot from you too. And then they grew up. And then for a year, we got them in the fall of 2017. And then in 2018, a year later, we brought Vito in. And oh, it broke my heart with Topolina, our little lighter torty who's back there. 
She didn't come downstairs for two weeks when we brought Vito in. Mm. Vito is very vocal. And our Ridgebacks, our dogs are vocal, but Vito has a very high-pitched bark that Santino doesn't offer since we've had him that the cats haven't been exposed to. So when we look at what you describe elegantly as space as a reinforcer, Topolina just stayed upstairs and Vito didn't have access to the cat room. So we had gates up where we have in our gates, there's a little Mm -hmm. bottom corner cut out. So cats can go in and out of a room, but the dogs can't because (laughs) our dogs are big enough that they can't get through that hole. (laughs) I don't know. Vito might try if we didn't, if, if our eyes weren't on him, but we have a cat room where the cat litter boxes are at. Food sources are accessed mm-hmm. low and high because our cats show different preferences mm-hmm. for how they like yeah. to eat and play. And we have food sources in different parts of the second floor. So not just in the cat mm-hmm. room, but areas elevated. So the cats aren't forced to eat mm-hmm. near each other either because I want to be aware mm-hmm. of cat politics too. But, you know, sweet little Topolina was not having, what is this downstairs? And then I realized, okay, <laughs> Laura... <laughs> Let's walk the walk here. And how are we going to create a plan? Because this is going to be Vito's life and this is going to be our cat's life. And our cats are young. We're hoping they live long lives and we hope our dogs live long lives. So that's when I started to pair things with giving the cats plenty. That's our cat corner, but I'm washing some carpets and stuff right now. But the cats have the ability to go high in different rooms, Mm -hmm. to hide in cat tunnels, to hide under furniture if they want to go under They have scratching post stations that I capture and click and treat. So they naturally scratch their nails here and not there. But we also have this room is off limits to the dogs. They can't go sniffing litter boxes. They can't, like, who wants, if I were a cat, I'd be able to stay out of my bathroom. (laughs) 90 pound large beasts, get out of my. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Stay out. And I don't want to create feline Mm -hmm. elimination concerns by having where they eliminate be. Like, I don't want to stir that pot. And so we created a plan where one, I upped my management and places for the cats to hide and go and observed what they showed me under conditions. They were relaxed and I would capture it and I would hide more cat treats in those environments, do some more clicker training and one-on-one time with them. And then I would observe what Vito could do under conditions with Topolina, well, Lucia, our darker tortie and him have a love affair. It's so sweet. But also too is Gates. So when Topolina wears a bell, so that was also, I think it helps because we know where she's at. Her name in Italian means baby mouse. And she lives up to it because she gets indoors in closets. She sneaks around and we, we like, where's Topolina? I'm like, girl, you're going to wear a bell because we need to know where you're at and we don't want you to get stuck in a closet. So she has a breakaway collar. Lucia would have nothing to do with it. She's like, nope. And she would pop it off, pop it off. We said, fine, you'll be naked. He won't have any clothes. But then I would pair the ring of a bell with food. So it would be ring, food, ring, food, ring. It wasn't Topolina's ring. I just had the cat. I had an extra cat bell collar. So for Vito, we'd be in the kitchen, gated. He was blocked out. He couldn't get to the cats. And I would just randomly, while sipping my coffee, ring the cat bell collar and then drop a treat. Ring the cat bell collar, drop a treat. And classical conditioning crosses over into Mm -hmm. operant learning quickly, right? They write shoulders. Then I quickly went into operant learning where it was ring the bell. And when he would look at me, Mm -hmm. I would click and treat. So now we're into the operant learning. So that bell means if you offer this, then there's food. 
And then we advanced it to kind of jumping forward. But then when Topolina would, when I would hear her bell in another room, and even if Vito didn't, didn't look that way, mm-hmm. it was just, I heard her and I would just drop a treat. And then it would be, I would hear her and then Vito would look at me and I would go click and treat. And then I went to let's have it where then Topolina would come into the kitchen. She was slowly coming closer to Vito. When she would jump on the kitchen counter, her presence, he would look at her and I would say click because him looking at her and not running at her and not trying to counter surf or counter shop. That was another small success point of of what is the smallest success point that I Mm -hmm. can see between you two. And then then it advanced to a fun game of there's a cat. How Mm -hmm. about you go to your mat? So that, and then I would do this with Lucia because Lucia would, uh, she was all over Vito. So I said, well, I have one cat that I know you're below threshold with. Whereas with Topolina, he was like, you know, oh my gosh, who is that? And so then it was a fun game of here's Lucia. So Lucia would come in the kitchen and I would give the cue, relax. And he would drop on the mat, Mm -hmm. click a treat. But I would toss the treat away from the cat. So he would go that way so the cats could scurry if they wanted to. Then we did a fun cue transfer of when Topolina came to the counter, I would do the new cue, pet the cat. Then the old cue, relax. He would drop on the mat, click treat. And then I faded the verbal relax. So then the new cue was we would pet a cat, Mm -hmm. elevated. The cats are high. Petting the cat became the new visual cue to go to Mm -hmm. your mat. Do this instead. And yeah, so, so you just combined like every KPO concept in like five seconds, which is great. I think there's there's so many kind of variations on a theme that you can work on when you have a cat being a stimulus that you don't have total control over. <laughs> So even if you do, I often recommend like doing a lot of place training and nose targeting stuff with the cats so that you can kind of move them around the space as useful decoys <laughs> in a way. And again, within kind of a pattern, it helps the cats relax as well. But you kind of did that with Lucia being this semi-neutral, but cat-like stimulus. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's a really interesting idea. Oh, and if I may interject too, this is where perhaps the average pet owner isn't aware of the difference, yet the benefit of knowing the difference of the two classes of antecedents. And I think I was chatting about this on Hannah Brannigan's recent podcast, because Hannah's so much fun to hang out with, is that we look at distant antecedents and immediate antecedents. And so for Vito, I would start with with Lucia, because he was pretty like, oh, there's Lucia. And I'm like, there, there's my smallest success point is if Lucia comes in the room and you're below threshold, you don't even get up to look at her. That's, that's a click point. However, I also noticed first thing in the morning, our kitchen faces east. So when the sun comes up, our dogs and cats love the sun. And so when the sun would come, a distant antecedent is like time of day, um, feeding schedule, medication schedule, exercise schedule. Things that we need to factor in, they don't cue the behavior consequence contingency, but they can affect the efficacy of the immediate antecedent, which is the cue, the stimulus. Mm -hmm. We say, sit, the dog sits, click, treat. So that verbal cue is the immediate antecedent. 
but the distant antecedents of the sun coming through the kitchen. So in the mornings, I'd be like, all right, this is going to be some one or two minutes of training time scattered throughout over, over the, the hour I have this precious sun. So I would set up the dog beds in the sunstream and Vito would just sprawl out in the sun. And then I would set up chairs and areas for the cats to elevate, to go into the windows and get the sun looking over the garden, all of that. And so the distant antecedent of the time of day and the sun coming in the room was such a huge benefit that I also share with my client teams where, is there a time of day that you notice that there's a reduction of the unwanted behavior and how can we use that to our advantage? And so for Vito, it was the sunlight because he would just lay on the dog bed and Topolina would jump on the counter and he would barely flick an ear. He's, I'm just too yeah. busy in the sun. So that's another thing to keep in mind. I didn't no, want to interrupt. But that's I a huge one because I think when we're thinking about creating a management plan, we often think about distant antecedents for this tends to be a sticky spot during the day where the shit hits the fan, if you'll excuse my French, right? Where it's, we need to figure out a plan for how to make this not happen. But the flip side is, are there times where you're getting a lot of behavior that you can capture or their behavior is more predictable? Like you kind of knew that the cats were going to come in to the kitchen because it was warm and sunny and lovely. And it happened to be that Vito was also enjoying it and he was relaxed. So that was a perfect opportunity. And I think thinking about that and really watching your animals is like, always the best place to start uh, with any with any training plan management plan and yeah based on like how do you design your enrichment how do you design your your physical exercise and your routine to be able to maximize the amounts of times where you have those like anti sticky spots and minimize the really the the rough parts of the day to use to your advantage for setups yeah and i think another fun i've learned so much about having Vito come in our home and, and adjusting the cats, you know, to him and then him to them and then them to him as well. But another thing that I was considering was for Vito, he was young, he's a young puppy, even though our breeder had cats. And when he was in the litter, there were cats all in and out of, of the litter. But Vito loves to run. He loves to chase. So I thought if we could use chasing me, so if I mark a desired behavior contingent on whatever the stimulus is of the cat, the sight, the sound. Even if I would see my dogs lift their head to air scent, I would click that, but run, chase me to go get the treat jar. Let's go away from the cat. So I don't want to compress Vito's young enthusiasm to run. Running for him is so reinforcing, but run with yeah. me this way. And that don't ever run. Don't ever run. It's like a pressure cooker. And then at some point, the dog is just going to go, a valve is open and the dog is like, it's a cat. And then you right. can't call them off because they finally have yeah. that outlet to yeah. run. Yeah. I think working that into not only the training scenario, but also like in verse their enrichment also really helpful. So I usually recommend like flirt pole or chase games outside of the house <laughs> where it's like, Get all nice. of that like pressure off. Do all the stuff so you're much less likely to like need to do it when you see a cat. Yeah. Great. Well, great to know. I, I've studied many 
cool people, including yourself. But yeah, the the <laughs> incorporating movement into the training and setups is something that I think a lot of people don't do. Like they'll focus on engage, disengage, and it's very like static. It's like stay here and watch that other animal. And that can be really, really hard. It's you're, you're fighting <laughs> a lot unless you've worked on like an active reinforcement relaxation protocol and they're actually relaxed that's kind of like the last step but people tend to skip to that and they're like you just have to just stay stay there and watch the thing that's so hard (laughs) so it is hard it is hard so you were mentioning about how using valuable distant antecedent considerations like the probability of veto that's my population of one. The probability of Vito wanting to chase the cats is going to be higher if he hasn't had a good long sniff hike in. Nice, easy hike. He gets to run when he's on uh, a biothane long line under safe conditions. Like he gets all Mm -hmm. of the zoomies out and then he comes home with management in place as well. But the probability of him wanting to run and chase Topolina is lower because he's gotten some good healthy exercise. He's gotten some good sniff time. And you touching on that is such valuable information for our cat and dog teams that just might not be on their radar. And they're not giving that outlet. And maybe for a million reasons, maybe busy schedule, they didn't realize that it was a value. Yeah. And the same thing goes for the cats too. So like a lot of movement is a huge issue for a lot of dogs. They're like, ooh, moving, chase, must, (laughs) which makes sense. And so if you work with the cats to move them around, give them play sessions, then they're going to be much more sleepy (laughs) and less zoomy than they would be otherwise. And so like just changing up the, the behavioral needs when they are together, then it, it tends to really calm everybody down. Even before you do any setups, any training, just affecting those distance antecedents tends to really help. Do you find that when a client reaches out to you and says, I'm thinking about bringing a cat into my dog home, or I'm thinking about bringing a dog into my cat home, Is it common for someone to reach out to you and say, can you help me with pre-adoption considerations? I I wish, like, (laughs) we've already jumped off the cliff. Yeah, and a lot of people say, oh, well, like, I grew up with cats and dogs, and we just kind of put them together, and everything was fine. And I say, okay. (laughs) But yeah, I think if... Even I mean, with pre-puppy clients, with anyone, if they have any anticipation of changing their pet-oriented life, asking for some advice ahead of time to set up that initial homecoming, introductions, and coming up with good schedules to be able to manage the needs of both animals, super duper helpful to do. But I mean, I only get that I have five, 5% of the time, everyone calls when it's already an issue. Yeah. And just to share with your listeners a a fully transparent conversation that my husband and I had when we lost Willow first before Nochella. So Nochella was 18. I think Willow was 18 when we lost her because when I rescued her, we thought she was two. And there was this heartbreak moment of, I just lost one of my heart cats 
and we had an older cat in the house already. We just had Santino and we were talking about the next puppy, like getting the next dog in the house. We were talking about, do we get another cat? And some really honest moments of discussion between Jim and I, that it was in Nochella's best interest as the 18-year-old cat to not bring another cat or mm-hmm. dog in the home, to let her age out and let her just be the only cat because mm-hmm. she had health issues. She had mobility limitations. It was already happening mm-hmm. for her. And it wasn't fair to bring another cat in or another dog because she didn't have her capacity to run and hide quickly. She was already sore and moving slow. She was already getting supportive vet care to help with kidney disease. All of these things were already in play. So as much as we on the human end of the home wanted more animals in our home because we're animal lovers, it wasn't in the best interest for our 18-year-old cat to do that. And, and it was hard because here we have this aging cat that sleeps more, rests more. They're not young and full of beans anymore. And we might miss that young kitten play and all of those fun things that we'll observe in a younger cat or maybe a younger dog. But just because we want more pets in our home doesn't mean it's the right time to do it. And I can only imagine that what if what if my husband had a really strong, different opinion? No, I really want another cat. Then that creates stress in the home because you have some caregivers, I really need another cat that might not understand that it's not the best for the for the resident animals. Right. And they're time. not choosing to bring the other animal in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You, great point. <laughs> you know, I mean, I joke, but I think if we were to ask Topolina and she could speak freely. I think she might still vote Vito off the island. I think she'd still be like, he's been here three years. Yes, things are better. Yes, she comes and sniffs it. It's all better because Vito has a reinforcement history now. He's three years old. He's not a young puppy. We've built a a program that has established a thick reinforcement history Mm -hmm. with management and consistency because I work hard on the plan. So -hmm. does my husband. Or when we have a pet sitter here, when we're not around, They know the plan so it doesn't fall apart. But yeah, like they don't ask. Santino was like, who is this young puppy? So yeah, yeah, really, yeah, really, really important point. They didn't ask. Yeah, and I think something that a lot of people suggest uh, when you're about to have bring a baby into the house, right? So you you usually know that's going to happen ahead of time. So a lot of people suggest bringing in stuff, and kind of or- organizing the environment so that the animals know that something different is going to happen. But a lot of times when you're bringing another animal into the house, that tends to happen a lot quicker. And so that transition period is often not really thought through. Introductions are rushed just by the nature of how cats appear on your doorstep or <laughs> an emergency rescue situation comes up and you add another animal in and then the issues come up because of that. But even the best laid plans might not work out to a happy, wonderful, magical life like you I, you thought. And I think the the consistency is super important and being all on the same page about expectations is something that a lot of humans struggle with. And then you get 
I mean, I'm not a, a human psychologist, <laughs> but I, I know, I'm sure you deal with this a lot too, where it's just this, the animosity and like resentment between the humans can have a huge impact on the prognosis of your training plan because someone's I didn't want to call the trainer in like everything is either fine or in my mind that animal's already halfway out the door and that's really hard for for me as a trainer obviously because I want every it's only going to work if everyone's on the same page and everyone's doing at least the bare minimum of the same stuff do you have any insight into how to try to navigate those not only cat dog interpersonal stuff but the adding the human issues in as well I do and I'm going to grab my cup of coffee that I left over there so that brings up a great question I'm so focused on Santino I forgot to bring my coffee and take a sip of it (laughs) is I think one of the things that I say to my to my client teams right off the bat when we're working together with whatever animal they have is I'll say, what are your expectations of my role in this collaboration? Mm -hmm. You reached out to me for help. This is what you're interested in looking for help with, but what are your expectations Mm -hmm. of me? And I wait to hear what they say. And then I'll swing back with, I will always advocate for your cat or dog or bird to be what they are, which is a canine, a feline, avian, right? What habits are you willing to change to help us meet our goals together? And I let that question linger. What habits are you as the caregiver, as the human, humans, plural, because behavior change is going to need to happen on your part to help your pet be successful and for you to be successful as a household, as a, as a pet loving home. And I kind of let it linger and I kind of let them chew on it. And That sets the tone for, am I the best fit for them? Because in order for me to feel like I could be of benefit, what are you willing to change in your home? Because this doesn't fall on your cat or dog. It's just like you said, Naomi, they didn't ask for this cat to get brought in. They didn't ask for the dog to get brought in. But then I'll also say one of my Karen Pryor Academy Arizona students, Leah, had said, one of the things that she will do is when someone reaches out to her and says, I am interested in adopting a dog. And she will say, okay, or they already have the dog. And she's the first thing I want you to do is if you haven't done it already is research the breed. Here are some links that are reputable to learn more about the breed of dog that you have. Tell me what you've learned. So I have a lot of Rhodesian Ridgeback clients because they know I have, I've had the breed for over 20 years. And some of them never had the breed before. And they are like, oh my gosh, I don't, I'm not sure what I signed up for here. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, let's look at the breed. Let's look at genetics. Let's look at their athleticism. Let's look at the size. Let's look at the medical commitment, the financial commitment of the dog or cat that you're having. So you ask a great question that I'd like to swing back to is, what are your expectations? What habit one, what are your expectations of bringing this cat or dog in your home or having a cat and dog household Two, what habits are you willing to change to help your cat and dogs be successful? And three, what are your expectations of me and the role to help you get there? And it's just so refreshing to kind of have Mm -hmm. it all on the table and then to advocate for our cats being cats and our dogs being dogs 
and how can we arrange it and not feel heartbroken, which I was, you know, fully transparent. I'm like, Topolina is not coming downstairs for two weeks since we got Santino as a puppy. This was, I'm sorry, Vito as a puppy. But then I thought she's showing us what she needs to do to adjust. She's still eating. She's still hydrating. She's not eliminating outside of the cat litter boxes. And I have four mm -hmm. cat litter boxes. I have a ton of cat litter. They've got plenty of places to go. So I was looking at her baseline nutrition and elimination needs, and she could hide. She could hide as much as she wanted to. We didn't take that away from her. We didn't make her stay mm -hmm. in a room with Vito. And then over time, she habituated to the sound and the scent and the sight of this new puppy while we did behavior modification, while we did the training. But, you know, she always had a way out and it took a while, but now we're three years in. <laughs> it, it didn't take that long. It was hard and it, there were some honest discussions that I think need to be had with the caregivers. Do you want another cat? Luckily, Jim and I were on the same page. We just said, we, we need to leave Nochella alone. She just needs to not have any, let, mm -hmm. let's not stir her pot. You I did. I, I mean, it's really all about expectation setting. And I like the collaborative language that you use a lot because A, you're coming in as a professional on their team. Like you are not the, okay, sports analogy, not going to be the best, but like you are not the athlete, you're the coach, right? They're the athletes. And and also not the animals, right? The animals are like the support staff in that way, right? And so I think having that, we're all in this together, but you ultimately are the ones doing the activities and the training and all of that stuff and clarifying who's in charge of what, like how much support do you need from me and how much the animals need, yeah. Another side tip too that I've learned over the years to suggest is, so we did this for the two cats and Santino. So just before Vito came in as a puppy, Santino got a full wellness checkup, like two weeks before, full blood work, fecal panel, full assessment. And then the cats got a full workup just mm -hmm. before Vito came in. Like blood work is good. Everything is good. It's so financially just kind of weave it into like their wellness checkup. And then share with your vet team, like we are bringing in a new cat or dog. It's, it's on deck. We're already prepping for it. It's going to happen. Schedule that new dog or cat's wellness exam. Even though our cats came from anti-cruelty society here in Chicago as kittens, they had a great vet team, but get, get the baseline. And then that way, if we're seeing behavior change and we're seeing potential intake concerns or elimination concerns, our data pool can narrow it down to, we didn't have these problems a week before the right. new dog or cat showed up, and right. now we are. So this can help your trainer for your listeners that are pet owners. Data is great. Getting as objective as we can is great because sometimes we're in the weeds emotionally, right? We're just sunken in there subjective. So keeping, keeping a chart or rating things, like I learned about a rating system from Ken early in my shed days, like zero is the worst day ever. And three is the ending of a happy <laughs> Disney movie, whatever. How would you rate from zero to three your cat's food intake like that day or something and chart it? So like Vito came in and Topolina is hiding for like day three now. And where is she hiding? Is she eating? Is she eliminating? Is her coat 
condition looking compromised? Is she not grooming? Is she, you know, what, let's really look at quality of life here. And also perhaps empowering your listeners to know it's okay if the new dog or cat isn't a good fit and you decide to send the, send them back to the breeder or the rescue or rehome through another foster. It's okay to make that decision because it might be the best for yeah. that cat or dog too. We're not locked into, we have to keep this cat or dog. If the medical and behavioral detriment of the other resident animals is really yeah. struggling or even for the family too, just like you said, like family dynamics, if you bring a new animal in the home and things aren't going well, and it's causing a big rift within the caregivers, that's not a harmonious situation either. And then if we're stressed, it's stress in the home and then it's stress yeah. on the animals. So feeling for, for your listeners, having a safe discussion where you can say to your veterinarian or your trainer, or if you're working with a behaviorist, a vet behaviorist, or a certified applied animal behaviorist or whomever, to say, I need a safe place to say this out loud without judgment. Don't, so don't punish me for saying this out loud. But what if? What if we give the dog back to the foster? What if? What are options? We're just casting that net out. Because nothing can feel more exclusive than me saying to you, you know what, Naomi, this isn't working out. Our resident cats are really struggling with the new puppy. Would it be okay if our breeders across the country, but would it be okay if Vito just went back to you for a month and let's see how things go. And then maybe we can bring Vito back or maybe Vito should be in a home without cats. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes pet owners are pressured you made this decision. Now it's lifelong and financially and emotionally it's falling apart. It's, it's, it's not good. So hopefully to end on a note of collaboration means a safe place. Definitely. To talk I wish that the pet world in many different facets was much more free of judgment <laughs> on many different sides, but yeah, these are really emotional decisions. These are family members. They're in your home having open and honest conversations with the professionals that you trust and who are willing to support you in whatever way you need is the best thing. And so for anyone who's listening who doesn't feel supported by their their team, you can find a new team, <laughs> right? That's You're the person that it, the buck stops there. If you can't handle it, it's okay. I'm happy as the professional we've been working and it's just not going well. I'm I'm not going to get upset if you say I can't do this anymore. I think a lot of people fear that like disappointment or judgment like you were saying and we're we we tend to be pretty open or at least the ones who really care. <laughs> well, any hopefully a skilled professional trainer that can look at what our client teams are reaching out for mm -hmm. with a wider net of things to consider. Are we a good fit for them? Is their pet already getting great vet care? And we're just kind of parsing out. And or, or if you have an online questionnaire, is trying to hopefully set the tone from the get-go. Like this, this is a safe place mm -hmm. for you to speak freely. Or Sometimes people will reach out and say, I've been using a spray bottle and I'll spray the cat when the cat hisses at the dog. And rather than me go, oh my gosh, why are you doing that? That's just horrible. 
if that's the first thing that comes out of my mouth, mm -hmm. I just punish the client for giving me information mm -hmm. about the environment that the cat and mm -hmm. dog and them are under. I, I just punish them for disclosing to me information that I need to know right. to help them move forward. So rather than, let's say you just said that to me, Naomi, and you're like, I've been using a spray bottle to keep this, this animal away from that animal. And as much as I might want to have an off, off the cuff response and say, oh my gosh, you're just making it worse. That's a great opportunity to educate about how the use of an aversive stimulus or punishment, the laws of learning tell us those work. Aversive stimuli and punishment work great on me. Punishment decreases the frequency of my behavior. That, Or if you remove an aversive stimulus, negative reinforcement by definition is the removal of an aversive stimulus to increase frequency of behavior. But then it's a platform for me to say, just keep an eye out for these considerations mm -hmm. about potential fallout. And then I'll go through my list of the, these are things that you might notice when you just reach to pick up the spray bottle. Your cat might hiss at you and try to bite you and you didn't even spray them yet. Let's talk about that learning association. Or keep in mind, it's an opportunity for us to be compassionate and listen and then educate versus judge a client and they go, you know what? I just got punished for telling them what I'm doing. I'm not going to tell this professional that I just paid money to help me. I, I'm not going to be fully transparent. And then that can have definitely, yeah. Too. I appreciate you spending some quality time with me and I look forward to chatting more with you offline. I've really enjoyed meeting you. <laughs> and here, if anyone has any questions, I'm sure that we'll figure out the best way to continue this conversation, but is there a really good way for people to contact you directly if they have questions about this episode? They can go to my website, which is lauramonicoterelli.com. And there's a contact us page there that you can fill out an email. That is the quickest and most effective way to get me. And if your listeners don't already follow me on social media, I have a business Facebook page, Laura Monaco Torelli animal behavior training concepts. All of this is on my website. You can find these there. Instagram. I am getting a bit more active on TikTok. I'm still trying to figure out that platform. And yeah. so that's been fun, but I do post a lot of videos and sometimes my cats are in it. Sometimes my dogs and a lot of my, a lot of my client teams, but yeah, just visit my site. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to get to know you. I know you and I follow each other on social media too. But I just want to say thank you for all that you're doing to advocate for the cat-dog relationship and for us humans that are along for the ride. For yes, it's us. been a really <laughs> fun thing to concentrate on. And I'm really happy that I have this platform because everyone's, oh, I'm so glad I found what's talking about this. And a lot of people have both species. So it's definitely been really helpful. Do you have anything else you want to add before we sign off? Have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you again for giving me a quick break so Santino could take um, a potty break. He's doing better. He was a little under the weather last week. He just caught a little dog bug. And I look forward, I mean, I'm seeing you virtually live now, but I look forward to the day maybe that we get to see each other in person. And just thank you for having me. Thank you to your listeners for listening. And again, just thank you for everything that you're doing to help put more supportive, reputable information out there about the lives of cats and dogs and 
navigating it. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it's just <laughs> in the middle. Exactly. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. If this episode helped you feel less alone in your struggles with your cats and dogs, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Your support helps other people find this show and get access to cat and dog specific content. You can also follow me on Instagram at praiseworthypets. I'd love to hear your suggestions for who I should interview next. And if your pets aren't getting along, you want to improve their relationship, but you don't know how to do it, I'm opening up a new course in early 2022 that takes you step-by-step -step through the pets process, from establishing your management plan, to training your core behaviors, to creating setups that will take your pets from cranky to coexisting. Go to praiseworthypets.com course to get on the wait list. And that's all for this episode, you wonderful cat and dog people. See you next week for more It's Training Cats and Dogs.